Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. They keep giving me more money because I'm not always asking them for money. Um, I give them information. I tell them what's going on and, and we're just part of their investment portfolio. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome back to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, I've got a very special guest. His name is Morris Groberman, and Morris has been in commercial real estate for over 30 years. Uh, he's a principal with Northwest Commercial Real Estate Investments, and he's successfully completed more than 50 syndications since 1997 and raised over $150 million in equity to acquire properties. So I think we are really, uh, really blessed to have you here today, Morris, to, to share your wisdom. It's not often that we get such a seasoned investor in-house to, uh, to, you know, to give us such a different point of view. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to this. Yeah. So before we jump in, why don't you, you tell folks a little more about yourself and, and how you got started and, and then kind of how you got to where you are today? Okay. Well, um, I graduated from college and went in right into commercial real estate at Collier's um, as a broker. And um, as a broker, you learn from, from everyone and how to do business and what to do, what not to do. And you take the things you like and you throw away the things you don't like. But the one thing I did realize early on is that being a broker is great you get some cash flow but you don't build equity and equity is where you want to be um so i had to figure out from being a broker how to get equity and how to start buying these buildings because uh, at later on in my career uh, all i was doing is i'd find the deal i'd sell it to somebody and i'd put the whole thing together i'd I get them their financing. I do all the due diligence and all they would have to do is show up at closing with some money. And, and then it was over and I got my check, but I didn't own the building. I should have owned the building. I, and I wish I owned all those buildings I sold, but it gave me that education and the confidence I needed to go out on my own and start buying. And so, you know, what I did early on, and this is when I had hair, um, I, um, I went to, you know, my investors and investors, you know, ask me, you know, hey, Morris, you find a good deal. Let me know and I'll buy it from you. So um, I wrote their names down on an Excel spreadsheet 
we did have Excel then. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, then I found a deal. And that was actually a deal I was selling as a broker. Three people passed on it. And I'm going to, I sent it to the seller and I go, I don't, I don't know why these guys are tying this property up and then blowing out. So I said, hey, if I buy it for the price that they had it, would you sell it to me? So he said, sure, I, I, I want to buy this other building. So, yeah. So I, I went and bought his building and that's uh, how it all started. Nice. And what what was that first investment? What type of building was that? It was an eight unit apartment building built in 1910. I still own it today. Um, we bought it for 465 and it's probably worth two million bucks today. Still own it. Just, uh, you know, I refinanced it so many times. My investors have received their money back tax free. Mm -hmm. And they basically, every time they get do the refinance and get their money back, they just give it to me for my next deals because that money <laughs> they had allocated for real estate. So right, I just right. keep giving them money back. And that's typically, you know, how we've been able to keep growing is we don't, we don't necessarily sell. I've maybe sold two or three buildings in my whole career as, a, as a, an owner. Um, oh, yeah. I, I just, it's so hard to find good assets to buy. And you, then you have to pay taxes and all this stuff. It's so much easier just to refinance, give your investors back their money, and then keep owning it. It's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and the one, the buildings I have sold, except for the office building, uh, I'm I I wish I did not sell. <laughs> the office building, I'm still glad I sold. Yeah. So. <laughs> So let's start with just just real estate. Why why were you so attracted to, to real estate, and why did you choose that as as your vehicle of choice? <laughs> um, well, you know, growing up, uh, my grandfather and father were in the real estate business in Canada, and I, I saw what they did. And uh, then uh, my stepdad in Vancouver, Washington, owned a furniture store, and I saw what he did. And I said, I don't want to be in furniture. That's too much capital. Let's, and then you have to wait for people to come to you. I, I want to be a real estate broker because um, you can make some money being a real estate broker if you're good and you work hard, uh, but you don't have any capital. You only have your time and uh, you don't have to wait for the customers to come to you. You can go to your customer and say, hey, buy this building. It's a great deal. So that's how I got into it. And I was with Colliers for 19 and a half years. Um, and during that time, they let me buy my buildings. Nice. So to start so you were, the business. And then finally, I just said enough is enough. And yeah. I can't do it all. Yeah, it didn't make sense anymore. You, you had too many assets at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And I was and candidly, I was competing with my customers. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't you like probably, that very much. You probably found some pretty good deals, though. You get the first. I, you know what? As a former broker, um, yeah, I, I knew all the, the owners in the market. Uh, mm -hmm. I became friends with them. They knew me. And so I, they would call me for advice or, or something. And, and we end up buying their buildings off market. You know, I'm buying another deal off market. It's all about relationships in our business. Um, uh, I would say probably 60% of the buildings we buy are off market, maybe 70. Um, it's just that, you know, people come to us first that we're a known quantity and, and they know we were able to close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is really the most important thing, right? That, that well, surety for, to close. For, yeah. For, for owners and brokers, if they want to put it on the market, they want to know it's going to close. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, uh, so tell us where you're investing. 
Okay, I will tell you. So we, we invest in the Seattle area only. Um, I learned early on in my career uh, not to buy any uh, property more than 45 minutes from my house because you just never will see it. And the key is, it's just being more on top of things. Uh, don't get on an airplane. You know, it, it's, it's hard enough for me to drive 30 minutes to look at a building, uh, let alone uh, get on a plane to do it, et cetera. And there, if, if you know your market, there's plenty of buildings to buy and, and uh, things to find in that market. Um, but the, you know, we own all asset classes now. Um, you know, growing up, I started as a leasing agent. So I understood um, office leasing, industrial leasing, retail leasing. Um, so we own office, uh, we own industrial right now and retail and, and uh, mostly multifamily. I owned an office building. I was an office leasing broker for many years. And uh, my motto now is friends don't let friends buy office buildings uh, for several reasons. But one, um, tenant improvements, downtime, real estate commissions, it just eats your, all your profit uh, alive. And it's just kind of a pain in the neck. Apartments are so much easier to own and operate. Um, retail, we own core asset uh, in, in retail. Um, yeah, we are impacted a little bit by the COVID thing, but um, not as bad as uh, others have been. Um, apartments, the same thing. Uh, we own about 1,800 units, and I have about uh, you know, probably 15 people not paying now. So it's it's, it's not you know, I'm not getting crushed by that. Um, it's more of a pain. Uh, we we did see our incomes, our rents uh, uh, drop in the the heart of the, the problem, 15, 20 percent. Plus, we have to give concessions. Um, but we're back now to um, 2019 rents or, or above, and uh, we're just uh, plodding along. Uh, I bought a couple of uh, properties during this time. Uh, we're doing a lot of development deals now. Um, development takes a long time to do. So I'm, I'm going to break ground in 22 on about three buildings. And those, those will take between a year and a half and two years to build, depending on the size. Yeah, and and what type of of apartments are you investing in? Like like A, B, C. Are there is it urban, suburban, mix? Well, we used to really just focus on the the uh, urban in, in city core Seattle, but you know we've really spread out now. Uh, we're in all the areas of Seattle. You know we have a, a big tech presence here in the Seattle area, so we're 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 trying to get those customers. We're we're just. Uh, opening a, a new building in Kirkland, Washington, next to the big Google uh, web campus. Um, so that'll be pretty successful. We've already got all the commercial there rented. So I got 70 units to rent, but I can't rent them until they finish the building. Uh, actually, we got a couple pre-rentals of just uh, friends and family uh, that wanted to, to get in there because it's such a great location. Um, we're building on Queen Anne in Seattle, and uh, we have three or four buildings now we're doing in, in downtown Bellevue, that'll be mid-rises. We've been, gotcha. we've been very busy during COVID. It's, <laughs> it sounds like crazy. You've, you've taken and, and I'm buying another building right now um, in North Seattle area. Um, it just wasn't on the market and it's gonna put out for us a three to 4% cash on cash return. Plus I have a lift in rents. So um, we said, oh, that looks like a good deal. Let's just do it. and. And the thing that's really helping us is, are the interest rates. They make they make right, deals right. make sense. Right. Yeah. And and so I, I want to get your perspective here because you're just you're you're unique to I think a lot of what we 
what what I would say, uh, a lot of what I hear, uh, you know, and maybe that's just the circles that, that I run in, but but a lot of a lot of people or, or people that come out of uh, training programs to be syndicators, things like that, are, are focused in. It, everybody's kind of pushed to the southeast. Everybody's pushed to Texas, to maybe Arizona, right? You hear about Phoenix and Dallas and all the growth and things that are going on. Nobody talks about going going to Seattle really and, and investing in Seattle and, and, and making that work. But, but obviously you are, you've been extremely successful. So I, I'm just curious on one, if you could enlighten us on kind of, you know, the market dynamics in, in Seattle, knowing, you know, price per units are, are fairly high. You, you said a three or four cash on cash that that's a little lower than, than in some other markets, but so the, the dynamics are different, but also I'd, I'd love, so I'd love to hear that. I'd love to just hear your, your perspective on uh, just make, making investments work there and kind of the strategy on, on, how, you, on how you deploy that and, and make that work in Seattle and, and why that's attractive. Well, okay, so I, I can talk for days on this. Um, yeah. So sit down, everyone. We're gonna we're gonna have a little a visit on Seattle and we got state. time. <laughs> yeah. So um, how do I start? So when when I started in, in in commercial real estate, Seattle was a very provincial area. No one really did necessarily, except the locals, want to invest in Seattle. And then we had you know Boeing come, and they were they were a big presence here in the area, and then they left. Went to Chicago, and that really mm -hmm. kind of upset the apple cart. But there was this weird company called Microsoft that was really starting to grow, and uh, they're just huge here. And then you know we have all these other tech companies and the biotechs. So as I always tell people, it's all about jobs. What we do, especially in multifamily housing, uh, you know, everywhere I'm, I'm I'm trying to locate my buildings is near jobs and well-paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of what we, we look to do. And then if you look at all the institutional investment lists, Seattle is always at the very top of their list because we're really constrained by water. There's water all around us. So it really limits the, the, the land. And then mm -hmm. we have the zoning. So it's there's really high barriers to entry. And yes, our returns, just like the left coast and the right coast, um, uh, those those areas, those those coasts have it, it's harder to get in there, and so the the returns are a little lower to start with. But here's what here's what's really happened to us in Seattle, and and I and I I've been talking about this for years um, when I was a broker and now as an owner and to my investors, um, it's really a capital appreciation play. Mm -hmm. Things in Seattle. I don't know how it happens. Well, I kind of knew because rents double every seven to 10 years. Values and buildings double. And that's a lot. And that's why our, our cash flow returns aren't as high as they are in the Midwest. Midwest, you're not seeing that. You know, you, you can get a six, seven, eight, nine cap. I mean, way better than our caps. And you can get better cash flow. But when you go to sell your property, you're not getting the appreciation like we can get on the left and the right coasts. Don't know what it is. It's really all about rents. It's all about job growth. It's all mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I go and peek in our job, our applications. Um, it's not my job, but I like to know who my customer is. So I'm always looking at the rental applications and seeing who they are. And these kids get $150,000 to start in computers. So with Amazon, with Facebook, with all these companies, 
they can pay these huge rents and it's just pushing our market like crazy. So, you know, this building we're building in Kirkland, I think my low rent for a little crappy studio is 2,300 bucks. Wow. Yeah. 2,300. That... I, I go, what? <laughs> it, it blows me away. I've been doing this too long. I'm too old. But it, it, it's just really uh, very fascinating. And these Google employees are going to be able to pay it no problem. And we're right across the street from their main campus. So yeah. we'll be fine. And and it's just a wonderful location there. But uh, yeah, our rents in the uh, Seattle area for a new product vary between three and five bucks a foot. Wow, that that is a, a different world than, than where I am here in Indianapolis, for sure. But I, I love your perspective because I, I mean, all the time I, I hear about the way the way most people talk about cap rates is that low cap rates are a bad thing. You know, when I hear most people talk about it, they talk about cap rate, you know, oh, I, I would never buy a four cap. I would never buy a three cap, all this. But what I always try to tell people is like cap rates are, are not good or bad. They just they just are what they are. And you have to alter your strategy based on what the cap rates are and based on, like you said, if it's a capital appreciation market or if it's a cash flow market. And it's just, and I love how, how you've just developed the strategy around capital appreciation because that's the market you're in and, and you're being very successful in a market where, where there's three caps and maybe even two caps. And, no, you know, no, I bought two caps. I don't mind buying two caps. Um, yeah. You know, because here's the deal is you got to say, okay, I, I know the market pretty well. So I say, okay, if I do this to this building, will I get a six cap? Okay. And then, oh, there's a parking garage. I can build more units or, you know, I can add units. So yeah. that, that, that two cap I bought, which I did, I, I added uh, three units into the building. So I went from a 30 unit building to a 33 unit building. And now we're mowing down the garage and we're putting up 27 units. The garage is free. It's free land. Mm -hmm. So that two cap I could have bought for a one cap and I would have still made money. You just have to look. You, people look so short term. They like it's like looking at the stock market. When I buy a building, I don't look at what's going to happen in one or two years. I look okay, ten years down the road, am I going to be happy? I own it. And the answer to your question is basically: if you buy the right location, you'll always be happy you owned it. Mm -hmm. Location really does matter. You can never fix a location. You can always fix a building. And we fix buildings, and we run pretty good buildings. And I, I don't mind buying old buildings. I, I've, I've bought a lot of old buildings. Um, you can look at our website, uh, nwcrei.com, and you can see all the, the properties we own and how we operate. It's, it's, it's fascinating, even to me, and I, I've been doing this all my life. Yeah, no, I, I love the perspective. It's just different than, than, than what we hear most of the time. That was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as well. And, and, and you, you and I actually, so, so folks know Morris and I met through a, uh, you know, we were on a, conf, a conference call together and, uh, and Morris actually gave me uh, a great piece of advice on that call because I was talking about all the, all the appreciation that I had seen in the markets that I'm in. And, and Louisville, for example, is, is up kind of 30%. Building prices are up thirty percent over the last, you know, eight or nine months. And I was like, man, that's just really hard to take. And your comment was right back at me was, you know what? You're just you're looking at it the wrong way. In that, you know, you can't frame, you can't worry about what you paid last year. You're never going to pay this year what you paid last year, right? And you've got you've got to look at the future. 
And, and if and if the future, like you said, looks bright and that makes sense, then then that's okay. But but if you're always thinking about what you paid last year, you're never going to buy another building. And so I really appreciated that advice, and 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 it's exactly right. Well, I, I bought my so I bought my first few buildings at fifty thousand a door, and I'm buying a building right now at three hundred thousand dollars a door. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it still makes sense. The rents are triple. So you just remember, you just have to look at the future. And um, it's, it's almost like buying a business, you know, and, and candidly, I like to buy a business where, where, you know, the rents, for example, and most of the units in that building haven't gone up in two years because of COVID. They, they mm -hmm. haven't been allowed to go up in the next six months. They'll be able to go up. So I'm looking to be able to raise rents on current residents, um, you know, whatever I need to to get to market. And then it's interesting is that, uh, uh, you know, we're on, on the turns where we're getting those much higher rents. And this, these are apartment buildings. People don't live there forever, especially the ones I own. And it's not because I'm kicking them out. It's just because they're apartment renters. They move. We're seeing 30 to 50% turn a year in the buildings. And that's just what it is. So we're able to get that turn and able to get that, that, that new rate. Why I, it's more difficult in commercial, you're signing three, five, seven year leases. I don't like doing 10 year leases. I don't like doing options. Uh, we can go into that another day about uh, lease negotiations for commercial mm -hmm. tenants. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the positives of, of multifamily, right, is you have year long lease and you can continue to, to stay up with market as those leases turn over in the shorter time. And inflation. Frame. And inflation. Yeah, and inflation, yeah. right. It's tougher on the commercial long-term leases. You try to have your CPI and your clauses, but uh, you know, you're know you typically able to only bounce them 3 to 5% a year, but if inflation's running higher, and I remember the 80s when inflation was running higher, um, the early 80s. I was there for it. Um, I watched my parents struggle in the furniture store holding inventory, and, uh, and I just said, ah, not for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, what are, we've talked about the, the dynamics of, of Seattle, how it's a different market, right? It's a capital appreciation market. We've talked a lot about the importance of rents and rents continuing to, to increase to, to turn that or doing things to turn that two cap into a six cap, right? Or be, be able to be able to really push the value in these properties. But what are the key things that you look for? Uh, when, when you're evaluating one of these buildings or one of these investments? I mean, what, what are the things that you're, you're really honing in on that, that move the needle? Well, I, I, I tell you, the, the main thing is we all talk about real estate 101 is location, location, location. It really does matter. As I said, mm -hmm. you can never fix a, a location. You can always fix a building. Um, mm -hmm. I like to be able to add units and buildings. Um, I like to be able to turn them around. Um, we've done a lot of turnarounds in great locations. That's fine. The building I'm buying now is actually in decent shape. Just the rents are a little soft because he hasn't been able to raise the rents in two years and interest rates are low enough. That I'm able to get a decent cash on cash right out of the gates. Uh, you know, for years I was buying buildings in Seattle here, offering my investments, no return, zero cash flow, uh, and just say, Hey, we're, we'll, we'll raise rents. We'll get the capital appreciation for you. Now we were able to do that. Uh, but they also like their cash flow now. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now and, and so are my investors. Um, so eventually we're going to have to sell, but they don't typically, they're not pushing me to sell. It's kind of interesting. They like the, um, the tax benefits. They like the cash flow out of the pro projects and they know if we do sell, it's, it's huge capital gains and, mm -hmm. and uh, depreciation recapture. So they'd rather if I just re keep refinancing it, 
and I have some interesting, I have some older investors. Guys are like 90 years old, giving me money. I go, why? Because I, I don't want to give the kids the money. I want to give them a building that's going to give them cash flow. Right. That makes sense. Right. I'll do yeah. that. And then, then the kids get the stepped up basis. Yep. Yeah. So, no, that that's, I mean, that's the best present you can get, right? Yeah, well, I, I would think I would like that. So, so tell me about, tell me more about how your, how your investments work, because uh, it sounds like, like, again, a little bit different from, from kind of the normal crowd. It's a longer term hold play. So, so tell me about, about how they work as you seek to refinance, you know, are you returning equity back to the investors? Are they staying in the deal? And, and kind of, how does it, how does it go as you go through the process? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I started in saying, um, you know, I started when I first couple of buildings saying, oh, we're going to hold them from 10 years. And then we looked at each other and said, well, no, I think we want to hold them longer. And we're giving our investors back the money. They don't want to sell. They want to keep owning. So we just now I just say, I, I don't know what I'm selling. I'll just refinance. If you want to get bought out, I guess I'll buy you out. But uh, at market and no one does anything. They just like to stay in. I think the what, the one thing that we're maybe different than others, uh, and I learned this early on, is I report to my investors monthly. I give them a, a sheet about what's going on at the building, a little market report, and then they get their balance sheet, their rent roll, and their P&L statement. They know exactly what's going on. Uh, and so I think it's critical to keep your investors really knowledgeable about their asset. And um, they don't call me. They, they have the information and um, they keep giving me more money because I'm not always asking them for money. Um, I give them information. I tell them what's going on and, and we're just part of their investment portfolio and they like it. And uh, I don't really have any complaints. Um, all the investors uh, know what they're getting into when they get into business with us. Now, as I said to you before, you know, we started with eight investors and we're up to over 600. And I keep trying to grow that because, you know, some investors come and go and, and they don't want to, they've, they've allocated enough into real estate. And so they're out. But I have some funny stories. I've, you know, met with some tech guys and they said, okay, I'm going to give you X dollars for these five deals that you're going to have. And then that's it. So that same guy is, is now, who said that to me, five deals, he's now in 15. You know, I don't, he just, oh, I will do that one. I'll do, you know, because they come up with money and they don't want to put it in the stock market. They want to diversify. And the one thing they can do in Seattle, because I don't reach out to anyone else, is they can go drive by their buildings. And if, and I always offer my investors, hey, you want to walk through? I want to see your building. No one takes me up on the offer. <laughs> and, and, well, you know, I had a, I have a friend of mine that gave me a lot of money. He's actually a, a tenant and common investor with me. And the one thing he was so proud of, and he still is to this day, and he invested, we bought this building together in 2005. He says, Morris, I've never seen the building. And he lives in Bellevue, which is across the lake from Seattle. And this, this is right off of Broadway. I, 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 won't, I don't want to see it. I'm so <laughs> proud I haven't seen it. Because, you know, he trusts me. And, and, and that's right. our business. It's about trust and transparency. Yeah, no, I, I love your your message about communication. I, I don't think enough people do that. I mean, it's something I, I actually try to do as well is send out mo monthly updates uh, to the investors because because when I started as an investor, passively investing first, 
that was one of the things I hated was like, you give somebody money and you wouldn't hear from them for six months. And you're like, eh, what the hell is going on with my property? Like, are, are we good? Are we bad? Like, where are we? So I, I completely agree with that. And, and I'm sure that's a huge part of, of your long-term success. Well, that, that, and you know, we do quarterly updates about the market, especially during COVID. We, we did Zoom calls with all of our investors because, you know, everyone was concerned and candidly, so were we. You know, when they're, when they're talking about rent strikes, you know, how is that going to impact us? I mean, that's, that could be really a problem. Um, so we really kept abreast and we keep everyone abreast. We're, you know, we work with all the local um, uh, people around. And, and I know most of the local syndicators of what I do um, and man, property managers and appraisers. So we were really kind of on top of this market. And, and that's the only way to be. I really know the Seattle area market very, very, very well. If I went into Portland or Phoenix or some other market, I, I wouldn't know it as well. And candidly, if a building came on the market, the local Phoenix guy would get it before I would. And I wouldn't know if it was a good or bad deal. The guy would just swoop it up. Just like I swoop up these deals that aren't on the market here. They, people bring it to me and, and we just go and buy it. And the outside people don't ever see it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of value there in, in owning your backyard and knowing the market and and being the being the first to the table because you have those relationships. I think that's why it's so difficult to enter other markets. You know, it seems like you always end up paying a premium for that first one because that's the only way you get in is you, you gotta you gotta come in above above and beyond what it, what any of the relationships uh, enough well, that, the the, that they don't care about the relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Which kind of tells you something, right? If all the local guys don't think it's worth that, then, you know, is it? It's not. Well, again, <laughs> the thing that, you know, saves a lot of people in real estate, especially if you don't tell your investors you're selling in two years, is time. Right. Time heals all wounds. And I'm telling you, the second building I bought back in uh, 99, January of 99, I thought I really screwed it up. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And it was just it was just tough. On, and it was it was a really, you know, I, I really had to work at that. And um, that's that's turned into be a, a, a tremendous winner for us. And it's just time took care of it and all the development around it. And um, I still own I still own it today. So again, that's the second building. And that was ninety nine. And we still own it. We just won't sell. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So you've uh, you've obviously had had a, a very successful career over a long period of time and so have you been able to maintain your success like like through all the ups and downs through through the different cycles i mean what what's your philosophy on on how you how you continue to to just be as successful as you are heads and beds that's how we do it through the cycles um even in covid i'll drop my rents faster than anyone else just to keep uh cash flow going uh -huh. um and so we we were able to keep cash flow going um I think, I don't think we, dis, I don't think we cut distributions during COVID for the, any of the buildings outstanding. So that was kind of interesting. My commercial building, we had to, because two of the commercial tenants weren't paying rent, mm -hmm. but I have uh, 15 others. So we just cut it a little bit, um, but the apartments have been just fine. Uh, yeah. And um, you know, the other thing that we've done, that's pretty smart. I thought was we have these significant reserves in the mm -hmm. apartments. You know, when we, when we do refi or even when I buy buildings, I, I have capital reserves. Yeah, um, yeah. It's called Tell being able to, it's called being able to sleep at night. And, right. 
and my investors, they say, why do you have so much cash? And COVID showed us why we have so much cash. Yeah, 100%. So tell me more, what kind of reserves are, are you putting in? Are you allocating to specific things? Is it just kind of a, a bucket of cash? How do you? It's just a bucket of cash, two, 300,000 bucks. And um, it just stays in the building. And, you know, if I have a negative month, it, it doesn't impact us. It just, we just keep going. Because, you know, it, you know, you have, you know, uh, higher turnover months are more costly. And, you know, so it just balances everything out. It just, the one thing I, that was the first thing I learned actually on my first building is I didn't raise enough money. And so um, the reserves were coming out of my back pocket. And when you, when you feel that yourself, you learn. And so the next deal I said, oh, and we maybe, maybe we should have some reserves on this. So I got about 50 to hundred thousand in reserves on that. And that was fine. So depending on the size of the building, let's say we'll do 50 to 300,000 in reserves. Gotcha. I, I love that. And I think that's really important for, for everybody to, to understand that's listening to this because that it's so, it's so critical. And, and I think that's where people start to, you know, you, you, you start to want to make a deal work, right? It's not quite at the number you want and you start to cut things in, in your spreadsheet. And, and I think those reserves are, are some of the first things to be cut, but you know, at the end of the day, it's critical to invest with folks that are putting reserves in place because if they're not there and things go wrong, I mean, the, the net, unless it's coming out of your pocket, like, like it was Morris's, I mean, the option is you go back to the investors and do a capital call and say, Hey, you know what? It's not working. We got to throw, we got to throw mo more money at it. And hopefully you're Ooh. not throwing good money after bad, but those reserves are, are critical to making a deal work. When people talk, every, everybody always says they have conservative underwriting, right? Like nobody has ever been like my underwriting is aggressive. But the way that I really consider conservative underwriting is exactly like you said, Morris, is you've got to have a decent amount of cash sitting there for that rainy day that, that you don't know may come. Well, I mean, we have bad roofs, we've had bad boilers, we've had just a number of things happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I've never done a capital call, nor will I, um, because we have the reserves and, and that, and that really does uh, help us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think especially with in, in the market dynamics you're in, there's a ton of appreciation, which is great, but, but margins are thinner from a cash flow standpoint. So it's even yeah. more critical to have that cash on the side to sustain. If, like you said, you got to drop your rents, you got to, you know, to keep those heads in the beds, like you said. I, I imagine that that's extremely important there with the dynamics in your market as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, our rents went down 15, 20% plus concessions. It was brutal. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we just sucked it up, took it. And you know, these people that got their great deal for a year for their, it's going up to market again and uh, we'll be back to normal in 2022. Yeah. Like you said, time, time heals all wounds. Right. So as uh you know, as you're looking out right now, you're, you're looking at the market, you're, you're looking at what's coming up over the next over the next few years. I mean, what advice do you have for folks as they're looking, you know, as they're evaluating investments, as they're looking to make an investment, you know, with someone someone like you or, or me or anyone? What advice do you have for folks? What should they be paying attention to? It's pretty simple. There's a there's a poem that I that I read that I that I have somewhere. I can't. It's called Buyer's Lament. Maybe we look it up online. Uh, it's an old poem from the 70s um, and about a guy that always thought he should be buying these buildings and all of a sudden he didn't. And then he saw them go up in value and then he couldn't buy them because they went up too much in value. Here's the deal. 
if you want to own real estate and you don't want to do the work and you don't want to have your wife show it on a November evening when it's dark and blustery and meeting some stranger, you, you give it to the professionals and get and diversify your portfolio into some real estate. I said to people, I don't want all your money. I just want a, a, a sum of it and just diversify. That's all you need to do. And they listen and it, it seems to be working, but they, you just need to do it and, and not worry about, oh, I could have paid $200,000 a unit last year. It doesn't matter. It's what you can pay now. And the future is only you know, going to be brighter, I think, in terms of rents are only going to go up, especially in the Seattle area. We got tremendous job growth. We have tremendous population growth. Um, and we have uh, constricted um, area to, to build and, and zoning laws. So I think Seattle's is going to be great, especially um, the east side of Seattle, where you have all the uh, tech companies, Microsoft, Google, Amazon is um, moving more to Bellevue. But the interesting thing is that a lot of the Amazon, uh, Amazon employees are, are younger in their 20s, and they all want to live in Seattle. And, they, and Amazon has these buses that commute people, and so does Microsoft, back and forth from Seattle to their offices in, in Bellevue and Redmond. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, th I think we're in a unique time right now. I think uh, whether you're looking at Seattle or, or you're looking at most markets in the country, there's just not enough, not enough housing, there's not enough rentals. So as you break it down simply and think about supply and demand in, in an area where you know, demand is outpacing supply. What happens? Well, prices are going to go up, right? That's kind of econ 101. And I think I, I don't think we're going to be out of that situation for, for quite a while, uh, just based on how we've projected building and and the new supply that's coming online. So so I agree with you. I think it's a unique time uh, from a demand standpoint. I think it's a unique time from just how, like you said, interest rates are so low and how cheap money is. And, and then all the all the stimulus that's been pumped in and, and all just the extra money that's floating around that wasn't 18 months ago, right? Trillions, nine, $12 trillion. Well, what about this new, uh, the, the transportation package for like 1.2 billion? It's just the infrastructure. Spur, though, yeah. yeah, infrastructure. It's just gonna spur more inflation. And what's a great hedge against inflation? I don't know about Bitcoin, but you know, gold <laughs> has always been there and certainly real estate. But the one thing That's that, right. the one thing about real estate is it, it's, a, it's a tangible asset. And um, you know, you can, see it you can feel it and it provides cash flow and it provides tax advantages and that no other asset does stocks don't do that unless you do your margin calls but real estate is a really a, a great vehicle to invest in if you do it right and you go with the right people that know what they're doing and 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 they're conservative enough yet uh, know the market um, to be able to grow the values yeah, I'm interested in, in how I'm sure you get this question. Uh, so one a question that I get or, or just a, as I talk to new investors, kind of frame, a common frame of mind, I would say is, oh, real estate's risky, right? Real estate is risky. That just seems like like, like a general general thing that pe people think for, for some reason. I'm sure when you get that question, how do you answer that question? I well, I well, here's the deal. I, I've invested in some stocks and they went down from they went down from like let's say 20 to zero and I lost all my money. Real estate, you, at least you have something. You have an asset and it's always going to be worth something. Now, if, unless you over leverage it, 
but you know, typically I'm doing this new deal and my, my loan is going to be 60% of value. So it's not like I'm, you know, it's really over leveraging these things and people know we don't do that. Um, and again, if, if you're concerned about that, you shouldn't invest in anything. You should just keep your money in the bank and then it'll actually do negative because uh, the amount of money you're making from the bank and paying the taxes on that. And then with the inflation, your money's not growing at all. So, you know, put it in a conservative, um, you know, asset and real estate's more conservative as far as I'm concerned than stocks. And it certainly doesn't go up and down um, on a daily basis like stocks do up, down, depending what the market feels like. Um, you know, we just got to feel good about that location and invest in the location, but mostly invest in the sponsor. You believe in the sponsor. And that's how we've been able to grow our business so well is that, you know, everyone has cocktail talk and they say, hey, this is what I've done. And then all of a sudden, they, I, from the cocktail party, I get a couple of phone calls. Hey, what do you got? I go, I got nothing, but I'll put you on my list. <laughs> um, you know, we, it's not, I'm, I'm at a point in my career now that I don't have to buy another deal to be successful. Uh, everything's just great, but we do it because we're having fun doing it and we enjoy doing it. And I don't want to be at home, sitting at home, just doing nothing. I, I want to be active. I want to run the company. I want to be just uh, really involved in the community. Yeah, I love that. I love that perspective. I mean, and, and in 30 years, I, I want to be exactly in your shoes. So so I love hearing, I love hearing you're still Without having- Without my hair? You're gonna, you think you're going to keep it? <laughs> Well, I said it, it, in in your shoes, not necessarily with your hairstyle. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. Morris, it, it's been awesome having you on. Before I let you go, I, I want to take you through our our keys to success round. There's four questions I want to ask you that that I ask all the guests. And uh, the first one is, put yourself in your investor's shoes. If there was only one question that an investor could ask you, what is that? What should that question be? Um, are you going to deliver what you say you're going to deliver? Yes. <laughs> there's, so, there's so many things that go into what we do. So that's just interesting. But again, yeah. I think the one thing that we've been able to do that, that why we've been able to maintain all our investors and get new ones is just the reporting on a monthly basis yeah. and the quarterly basis in the market reports. I really think that has really helped a lot. And again, we try to be as transparent as possible with our investors. That's so important. I, I'd love to take more through the buildings and show them what they own, but they don't want to go. They just want a passive investment and know that we're going to deliver and that the their monthly checks are going to show up in their bank account and they're going to get their K-1s in a timely manner. So we, we auto deposit all their money and we provide the K-1s in a timely manner on our investor portal. Mm -hmm. You do what you say you're going to do. That's really the the underlying truth yeah. of it all. I mean, sure. the report the reporting is, is is a cherry on top. That that's fantastic. But but you you do what you say you're going to do, and, and you've hit the returns that you promised, right? And that that's why they stay with you. Sometimes it takes a little longer to hit the returns that you promised. We'll be honest about that. Sometimes yeah. it does, but then all of a sudden you're way above the returns that you promised. So you know, it just that's what's great about real estate. Mm -hmm. So what are you most proud of in your career? Um, I think how, how we built the business successfully and how we treat our employees. 
and our residents and our buildings. Um, and I think that's the, that's the happiest thing for me. That was the scariest part for me is actually, you know, it's just like you, when you're a father, you have kids, oh, you got more responsibility, right? But uh, when you start having employees, um, they're like kids and it's a lot more responsibility. If you screw up, you got a lot of lives on the line too, you know, without that are on a, unemployment. So we're very cognizant of that. And, 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 and maybe we become more conservative um, than I was when I was younger because uh, we just don't want to mess it up for them. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. You've, uh, you know, you've, you've built a community and you're taking care of them. Yeah. What's a book that everyone should read? Well, uh, the one book that I tell all the real estate brokers to read, uh, and I still laugh about it, but this, this has nothing to do with investing, but it's about brokerage. And that's where I learned. It's called Winning Through Intimidation. And as you can tell, I'm not an intimidating guy. And, and the book really isn't about intimidation, but I thought it was just such a great book. Um, when I was a real estate broker and I, and I just loved that book. That was just so good. And uh, cause it really has nothing to do with the title and it's a short book that I can actually pay attention to. Gotcha. And then last question for you, what is your number one key to success? You know what? I'm here at the office. I work hard. I answer my calls. I respond to my emails quickly. Um, and people can trust me. Simple. That's great. Mostly that's, the trust part. The trust part. And, and well, you know, do what stuff. you say you're going to do. And, um, and if you're not, tell them why and be transparent. It's as simple as that. Really? People don't do it though. I've yeah. seen so many syndicators fail. It's just, and then they don't, they wonder why they don't get money is because they don't report. And, you know, people are saying, well, what happened to my money? Oh, mm -hmm. that, you know, well, just, you'll, you'll get your, uh, your K1. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the difference between somebody that's had a 30 year career and been successful, right? Yeah, really. I mean, it really is. I see them come and they go and, uh, you know, we did, we're just consistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that message. Well, Morris, it has been fantastic having you on the show. If folks want to learn more about your company and, and what you're doing, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, just go to nwcrei.com. That's Northwest Commercial Real Estate Investments.com. See a bunch of our projects. And then there's a place if you want to contact us, you can contact us. And I'll talk more about you know our philosophy on real estate investing because it really is a philosophy. It's an art, not a science. Mm -hmm. Um and you just got to trust your gut. And, you know, I've been doing this so long since I was 21 years old in, bro in brokerage and then ownership. This is all I know. I couldn't do anything else. And you love doing it. So you don't have to. I love doing it. It's right. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on the show. And yeah, I hope no you have problem. a great rest of the day. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.